Welcome to Writers on the Beat, where crime writers meet crime fighters. I'm your host, Gavin Reese, and I'm proud to be part of the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. Every episode of this podcast will bring in a variety of experts to help all writers incorporate more authentic cops, crime, and criminals in their stories. Unlike the vast majority of my interviews, this episode was recorded in person at the 2019 Thriller Fest conference at New York City's Grand Hyatt at Grand Central Station. Enjoy. Joining me from Thriller Fest is author Tori Eldridge. Tori is a Honolulu-born thriller writer who challenges perspective and empowers the spirit. Her debut novel, entitled The Ninja Daughter, is the first book in the Lily Wong Ninja series and was inspired by her debut short story featured in Suspense Magazine's Best of 2014. Other short stories have been published in several anthologies. Tori's written a screenplay called The Gift, which earned a semi-finalist place for the prestigious Academy Award Nicole Fellowship. She holds a fifth-degree black belt in Toshindo Ninjutsu and has traveled the U.S. teaching seminars on the ninja arts, weapons, and women's self-protection. Tori, I am so grateful you stopped in to, to chat with us. Uh, welcome. Thank you. This is a blast. Yeah, so the, the main focus of my show is really helping authors to incorporate better cops, crimes, and criminals in their stories. And as I understand it, you've written an awful lot from your own experience that gives you a direct insight into what your characters are, are going through. And rather, they're, I guess they're experiencing parts of your life. Oh, I'll say uh, my, my debut novel is called The Ninja Daughter, and it's about a Chinese-Norwegian modern-day ninja in Los Angeles with Joy Luck Club family issues. <laughs> it appeals to everyone. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, come on. Who can't relate to yeah, that? Yeah. So when you say drawing from my own experience, I'm half Chinese, half Norwegian. I hold a fifth-degree black belt in, as you said, Toshindo Ninjutsu, and I've lived in Los Angeles for over 35 years. So, yeah, I had I had one friend author read it, and, and some wild stuff goes into this. I mean, this is like action-packed thing involving, oh my gosh, the Ukrainian mob, sex trafficking, oh, a, wow. a conspiracy with, you know, uh, L.A. government, and all sorts of things. And he reads it, and he says, so I have one question for you. How much of this is autobiographical? Can I like <laughs> zip my lips? I'm not saying. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You'll have to buy the book and read the author's note to be to be certain. Yeah. Oh, the author's notes are at the end of the book mm -hmm. are actually my publisher included it in our advanced reading copy because it in itself is really cool because I yeah. go through the whole what's fact, what's fiction, you know, that kind of yeah. thing. I, I, that's one of the, as a reader, I absolutely love getting immersed in a book to the point that I don't really know what's fact and what's fiction. Like that is so compelling to me. And um, when a writer is able to effectively do that, I appreciate it so much. It just makes me fall in love with their series. I do too. As a reader, I really dig that kind of a thing. And, and the one thing I will say Everything that Lily Wong does in this book can, in fact, be done by a woman because <laughs> I have either done it, <laughs> I have taught it, or I have witnessed it, you know, so. Now, as, as, a, as an instructor, um, one of the things uh, we were talking just before we, we pushed the record button here, um, but with, you know, I have an instruction background in, in Krav Maga and SKD and, and some Muay Thai, and... As an instructor, one of the things that, that really um, I really try to get across is how powerful women are and how advantageous their physique and their natural body mechanics can be. Um, 
And it's a really tough thing, I think, for, for some women to, to overcome and to realize is that the things that they think are, are physical weaknesses are actually attributes and give them tremendous advantage over someone who thinks that they're going to have their way. Hallelujah. <laughs> I, I am so happy to hear you say that. And I'm so happy to hear a man say that. Um, it's, it is so true. I, I am of the belief I'm five foot four. You know, maybe I weigh 110 pounds. I am not a big person. Well, you have a six foot tall presence when you walk Aww, in the room. Yeah, You're sweet. <laughs> and uh, most, almost all of my students are men. And they are big, big, burly men. A lot of them in martial arts, um, uh, military, law enforcement. And they came to me, you know, to my seminars because they wanted to learn the subtle movement mm -hmm. so that they didn't have to use strength. And... Uh, some of the, just to give you an idea, some of the strengths that we women have, our size is a huge advantage. Yes. What women don't realize, I did a lot of ground fighting. I also did ground fighting and kickboxing and, you know, a lot of stuff. I, I love this stuff, right? And one of the things that, that I learned was when, when a big man, especially muscled, right, yes. is putting you in some kind of a lock, it creates spaces between their muscles. Now, another man cannot escape through those spaces, but I'll tell you something, we women can. Yes. And the secret to ground fighting is gaining space incrementally, little by little. If you just keep yourself calm and use little tricks I know, elbow here, you know, a lot, lot of little things that will yeah. gain you an inch. That inch, wedge in a knee, becomes two inches, becomes five, and the next thing you know, you are out of there. Yeah. And men can't do that with other men, but women can do that. Fact. The other thing that I've noticed is I'm a huge fan of fighting in the air. Being a little person and having a, a lot of friends who, you know, like to throw people, um, I would go to ninja conferences, right, or even when I'm teaching, and my male friends would greet me by literally picking me up in the air, <laughs> you know, because why not? I'm so little. It's so easy. And, uh, you know, every now and again, just to remind them of yeah. who they're picking up in the air, you know, I'll turn it around, you know, hit them eight dozen ways and then, you know, whip them down onto the ground. They're like, whoa, I was just saying hello. And I'm like, yeah, me too. Yeah. <laughs> you know, because the thing about being picked up in the air is their feet are committed because they have to support you. Yes. Both hands are committed because they have to hold you. And what do I have? I have four Everything. free limbs and a head. That is a huge advantage. Every weapon's open. You betcha. Yeah. So. Yeah. One of the, the first time as, as an instructor, the first time I got my ass handed to me in, <laughs> in a class I was putting on um, was for one of my one of my fellow cops. She is about 5'2", probably with heels on. And oh, like, wow. She, she, she is uh, not, not her personally, but her physique is the reason that we... Uh, our agency specifically switched over to Krav Maga because oh. it's uh, the, that specific fighting system really better allows smaller statures to leverage their, their strengths yes. um, and the body mechanics. Mm -hmm. um, but we were specifically working on, on some grappling and some, some ground issues. And I, I also told you before, I hate ground fighting. You know, I, <laughs> and I love it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You would mop the floor with me right now. Absolutely. Um, you know, me and three friends, you'd probably still mop all of us. But um, so we, uh, we were working on a, a couple of specific holds. And then at the end, we always um, just kind of did a kind of an open mat. And so it ends up, you know, we were going round robin with the instructors and the students. Mm -hmm. And um, it ends up, you know, my turn uh, against her. And 
I think it took her about four seconds to <laughs> completely, you know, wrap me up. And, you know, I, I tapped very quickly and I'm like, yeah, I, I want nothing to do with you. You're going to kill me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> teach, and, and teach me what you know. And yeah. that's the other yeah. thing. It's like when, when we're putting locks on you, yeah. our arms are so small and so tight. Like me, it, it would be like having, you know, bone on bone yes. everywhere. And yeah. there's no way you can get out of my elbow lock. I mean, yeah. if I like put your neck in my elbow, yeah. there's barely any room for you to breathe. It's like being attacked by a killer scarf. <laughs> you know, we just wrap around it, you know, it's yeah. awful. Yeah. That is, do you have a killer scarf in your book? Cause I, I think, <laughs> I think you should definitely put that in, you know, that needs to be a, needs to be a thing. Well, I like I'm that. finishing up book two, so hmm, I might Perfect. be able to slip that one in there. I don't know. So sitting in front of us is, is the only existing in real life arc of the ninja daughter. Um, what do readers need to know about this book? Where can they find it? When can they find it? And, and, and how are they going to get introduced to it? Absolutely. Well, again, it's called The Ninja Daughter. And you can pre-order it right now through Amazon, through any of the uh, like indie books. Mm -hmm. You know, go over there and you'll find it in your favorite bookstore. You can order online, Nook, whatever. It's there. It's in trade paperback. So it's, you know, great price. Yes. And uh, there's also going to be audiobooks for um, for both of the books, this one and the second one. So you can pre-order, you know, please do. And uh, what do you need to know about this? It is, it is action-packed. It is a mystery thriller. So, you know, here she is. This, I'll tell you a little bit about this character, Lily Wong. She's 25. Uh, her mother is from Hong Kong, hence the Joy Luck Club family issues, because, <laughs> oh, my gosh, you know how that is. Her dad, <laughs> shush, her dad is a North Dakota Norwegian. And her sensei is Japanese from Japan. So here she is, Chinese. She did tons of wushu. So she has that in her pocket as well. But she's got these three cultures that are completely uh, making her who she is in a synergistic fashion, but also in a sometimes confusing path. Uh, fashion. And she lives in a very multicultural city, Los Angeles. So there's a huge, that's a huge part of this book. And she works for a women's shelter, you know, that's, that's run by this really cool, uh, you know, Compton woman, you know, this very cool black woman and her husband, who is, um, a former uh, stockbroker and New York Jew, and the two of them are so great, and they've they've started this work sh this uh, women's shelter, and so yeah. Lily works for them, and she got you know, and so she's out there helping women, and she gets caught into this conspiracy, which leads her you know, as they say, down the rabbit hole, yes. and of course, being who she is, she's constantly getting into situations where, you know, people basically need their butt kicked, you know. <laughs> Perfect. Oh, yeah. Loads yeah. of fun. Now, as as a very proficient, accomplished martial artist, um, I would expect there's probably a whole lot of pet peeves that you have about the way that martial arts, martial artists, and also those scenes are presented in TV, books, and film um, with, you know, even from maybe a difference in, you know, the philosophy of, of the art versus the practical applications, where, where do you see a lot of authors getting that aspect of their writing wrong? 
Hmm, that's interesting. You know, I'm not a uber critical person by nature. Um, yeah, I'm more on the empowering side of life, yes. right? And so <laughs> I, I take the, um, I, I try and find, you know, what is the, the good thing about it, you know? So if I'm reading something where they've really just gone off the rails of improbability, and that's, you know, yeah, right, that's, that's you know, secret, yes. that's not going to work, you know? Yeah. Um, I go, okay, but that's all right, because clearly they're trying to have some excitement. Or if a fight goes on way too long, because as you know, fights don't go on way yeah. too long, you know? Yeah. There's a limit to how long that can go on. So if they're going on and on and on, I sit there and go, okay, well, you know, obviously they wanted to extend this scene. Eh, that's cool. You know, I'll go with that. Um, I would love for you to read my book as forgiving as you are. <laughs> I would love to read it. Are you kidding? That would be awesome. Yeah. So, you know, I try and, and, and look for those things. Yeah. But from my personal point of view, yeah. I'm looking for authenticity. And what I really want to do in this book, you know, hey, you hear Ninja in the title? And, you know, you're thinking historical fiction, you're thinking fantasy, you're thinking, you know, black pajamas, you're thinking shurikens and swords. You're not going to find that in my book. This is a modern day ninja. I am a modern day ninja. And you wouldn't have guessed it walking in the door. That is such a badass thing to be able to say. I am a yes, modern day ninja. That's right. Snap, <laughs> baby. So I wanted to break the ninja stereotype, right? Yeah. And show people what is a modern day ninja. Because... We're doing things. We're walking among you. And, you know, one of the things is you are now in the safe. Well, between the two of us, yeah. right? We are in the safest room in Thriller Fest. And the yes. fact that we are here makes this whole conference that much safer and that much more positive, that much more harmonious. It's because of the energy you bring. And so these are things that are, are part of being a modern day ninja and the way that she fights and the way that she handles herself. And her favorite weapon of choice is a uh, karambit, which is a wicked but looking yes. knife, right? Yes. I mean, because, you know, I'm sorry, shurikens are illegal and I'm not going to carry around a katana in the city. <laughs> you know, so that's You lose what your I, cover. Yeah, yeah, you betcha. Yeah. And yes, you lose your cover. And, yeah. you know, surprise for a woman especially – this is this is key. And so I really wanted to break that stereotype and put that in there, you know, and there's a, a wicked assassin in here and him, too. I'll tell you the stuff in here. It's you know, it's authentic. Yeah. And that's one of the things like I I think that being a an instructor, but being being a martial artist has dramatically improved my ability as an, as an author to, to document those scenes and to make them realistic and I would really suggest if somebody, you know, wanted to write a fight scene, wanted to improve that aspect of the craft, they should probably go get some instruction in whatever it is they're, they're trying to replicate. Um, I think, you know, if you've trying to write a love story without ever having been in love, you're probably <laughs> going to fail. If you want to write a fight scene and you've never been in a fight, you probably need a technical advisor or to, to get in a circumstance where you might have a chance of tasting your own blood. It's really um, true. Yeah. It's really true. And, you know, one of the, the biggest things, you know, we were talking about women, right? Yes. One of the most important things for women, uh, even if you can just take a, a little bit of self-defense or a little bit of something, right? There's an experience 
of being in a fight scenario, even if it's a controlled sparring situation, even if it's just, you know, uh, um, practicing particular techniques. Um, when you're starting out, there's this, this feeling of panic, this feeling of drowning. And when you get through that, you realize it's okay. And one of the most empowering moments to me uh, in fighting training is the first time you get hit in the face. Yes. And you realize, oh, well, that wasn't so bad. It's not that bad. It's not a big deal. Yeah. I survived. I have all my teeth. Nothing's broken. Yeah. I'm a little bit angrier than I was a few seconds ago. Yeah. But that's it. It really isn't. Yeah. You know, when I was starting out and I was really early on, I kind of zipped up the ranks of Tong Sudo because of the dance background. I was, yeah. a, you know, a dancer. And uh, so I had like a, a private training partner who was, I was a red belt at the time that was one away from black belt. And he was a fourth degree black belt and about 20 years younger than me. Wow. And we used yeah. to train, um, you know, um, separate from the class because we didn't have to follow all the, the rules. And I remember one time getting, you know, spin heel kicked right in the head. <laughs> and it was like, boom, man, down on the ground. And I got up laughing. I was like, that was awesome, you know. And then there was yeah. this other day. I got like, you know, stomp kicked right in the sternum, threw me back seven feet into a wall. And, you know, the teacher was coming over. It was like getting ready to just like yell at this fifth degree black belt yeah. for doing this. Right. And yeah. once I could breathe again yeah. and I let go of my sternum because I thought if I let go of it, it was just all going to fall apart. Yeah. But once I let go of it and I could breathe, the first thing out of my brain was and I looked at this guy and I said, you have to teach me that. Yeah. Whatever yeah. you did, you have to teach me that. And you know what? He invited me uh, with this other group of higher black belts to train privately because wow. he was like, this woman rocks. Yeah. And, you know, that's those fantastic. moments are valuable. Yeah. yeah. You know, and that's the thing, right? And it doesn't matter. I, I, I taught a number of things as, as a cop. And that's one of the, I think, the biggest misconceptions in, in society in general, I think, because of movies and, and fiction. But you can't do anything in crisis that you haven't done in training. Yes. It is impossible for your brain to find a pathway during a crisis moment to solve a problem that's never been dealt with before. Yes. And so if there, there really is no rise to the occasion, you only rise to the highest level of your training. Yes. And if all of your training has been, you know, watching Highlander, <laughs> um, you're you're probably in trouble if you go pick a street fight on the subway tonight. You know, um, it's not going to end that well. You know, um, and that's one of the things, especially for for women. Um, I, I think it's especially important because you know women grow up um, stereotypically in a you know they boys go out in the backyard and fight each other. Yep. You know they fight their brothers. They you know fight their friends. Like you know we play box. We wrestle. Like throughout our whole lives, you know, a, a, a good wrestle is always welcome. You know? and, and women <laughs> tend to not have that experience. Mm -hmm. And I think it's one of the most valuable things that that women can do is to learn their body mechanics, learn how to harness righteous indignation and appropriate violence. Yes. Um, and it's an incredibly important thing to harness um, and, and to be able to know what your limits are and what you can and can't do and what is and isn't achievable. Um, but also to realize how powerful you are. That is, there is, I think, nothing more potent than someone realizing what's inside them. Oh, that is so true. And one of the things that 
women have to get past, uh, again, stereotypically, you know, nine times out of 10, is we're dealing with something that most men don't deal with, which is the fear of inflicting pain. Yes. Okay. Um, Basically speaking, I'm a nurturer. I'm a carer. Right. And, you know, men, you were saying, you know, you roughhouse, you get in fights, even you're maddered in heck, you know, brawls can fix, uh, break out. Half an hour later, y'all are best buddies again. Yeah. We, we girls, we, <laughs> we kind of hold on to things a little wee bit longer. And because we hold on to things a little wee bit longer, we tend to really get um, hypersensitive about inflicting pain. Now, this can be physical pain. Mm-hmm. This can be emotional pain. Um, every decision we make in life, a choice to go right is a choice not to go left. Yes. So whoever's on the left is just a wee bit hurt that we went to the right. You know, yeah. and now I'm, ladies out there, I'm talking about your husbands, your boyfriends, your mothers, your sisters, your sons, your daughters. You know what I'm talking about. And so when you come to terms with inflicting pain that, you know, we're going to do it anyway. Be OK with that. And a little amount, certain kinds, it is part of life. And so when you're training, you get used to, you know, remember I said the, the biggest moment was when I got hit in the face. Yes. The second biggest moment was when I hit somebody in the face where I shouldn't have, you know, wow. where I, I shouldn't have. Yeah. And I deviated your septum. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. And that is one of the hardest things. I did that yeah. once. And, ooh, that was really, ooh, I felt so bad. You know, and that's one of those things where you get over. And that translates to your emotional life. And it holds back women in self-defense and fighting because there is always, unless you've gotten past that already, and so you don't have to address that. Now you're in a crisis situation, and that little voice is in there with a whole lot of other self-questioning, self-doubting voices that are keeping you from acting immediately. So, yeah. Well, I I wish that you and I had met about a decade ago before I started (gasps) instructing. That's one of the the most poignant insights I've ever heard of the female psyche about an obstacle to training. Well, I appreciate that. That's phenomenal information for anyone else out there training. Please pass that information on. (laughs) (laughs) Let the instructors know the women in the class are probably afraid to hurt people, you know, um, and and help them get over that. Yeah. Physically and emotionally. So you martial arts teachers out there, you men, physically and emotionally, we women, we think about these things. Yeah. That's why you're greater creatures than we are. Aw. That's, you know, my my wife is truly my better half. And, you know, it's um, as the the kinder, gentler species, um, you know, it's we we have to appreciate the power that 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 brings. And and also the the some of the the baggage like like you talked about and and having to overcome that. Yeah. And here's the other thing. You can be both kind and gentle and nurturing and caring and kick somebody's butt. Yes. You can absolutely deliver, if necessary, deadly violence and still and not give up your ability to be a compassionate human. These Mm -hmm. two things are not mutually exclusive. No. If if they were um Cops couldn't exist. Yes. Any cop. Yes. And um, there would be no righteous violence. Yes. Which there absolutely is. That's why self-defense exists. Yes. Um, the the right to be free from harm from others. Yes. And that's that is such a, a basic thing that 
is probably very, uh, very much overlooked. I'm, I'm so glad we're having this conversation. I am too. <laughs> this is really fun. You know, I love talking about this yes, stuff. <laughs> yes. Yeah. But we do have uh, somebody else is going to be knocking on the, on the door very soon, Tori. I am so grateful that, that you stopped in. And we're going to absolutely get this up for everyone to hear very quickly. I'm very much looking forward to the book. Um, and is there anything else? Uh, where can readers connect with you? Where can they find you to, to get a newsletter, to get updates on, on your releases? Fantastic. Well, my name is Tori Eldridge, and it's spelled T-O-R-I-E-L-D-R-I-D-G-E. So if you Google my name, oh, my gosh, I'm everywhere. Yes. But my, yeah, you noticed <laughs> that, right? So my website is obviously ToriEldridge.com. Twitter, love Twitter, Tori Eldridge. Hello. And uh, if you're looking for me on Facebook, go to my profile. I've, I, I do way more stuff. But you can also find the author profile, Tori M. Eldridge, you know, but again, you'll find me. I love being out there. Instagram, love it. Writer.tory. And please do go to my website, sign up for the Muse letter. I call it Muse letter because I do, I, I blogged for, oh God, I shouldn't, decade on mindful living. And so I call it my mindful musing. So even now, uh, the stuff I put out on Muse Letters, it's just for my readers. I call right. them my uh, my reader ohana, which in Hawaiian, <laughs> yes. ohana is family, yes. right? Yeah, because yep. I'm from Hawaii and I'm part Hawaiian too. But, you know, so please do go to the website, join the Muse Letter, pre-order the book and awesome. Wonderful. Well, Tori, so much. Uh, so grateful that you stopped in. We'll get all this taken care of. And I really appreciate your generosity and your time. Wonderful. Mahalo. You've been listening to Writers on the Beat, where crime writers meet crime fighters, a copyrighted broadcast of the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. I'm your host, Gavin Reese, and this episode's guest has been debut author Tori Eldridge. Until next time, take care of yourselves and each other. Be safe out there.